Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number four of the Elevate podcast, the podcast that's out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host, Hayden Humphrey, and I'm incredibly excited to share with you my conversation with my good friend, Christina Stethopoulos. Christina is a professional certified coach and an accomplishment coaching certified coach. In her business, Hear Her Roar, Christina specializes in working with millennial women who have taken on a new leadership role and are facing the common struggles of managing a team, having executive presence, leading people towards a goal, letting go of doing all the do. In addition to her private practice, she serves the next generation of coaches and leaders as a leader in training of Accomplishment Coaching's Coach and Leadership Training Program. When she's somehow not talking about coaching or leadership, you can find her brewing beer, sticking more plants into her office, eating delicious meals with her husband, crying over cute dogs on Instagram, or setting a few witchy intentions. In this episode, Christina and I talk about her work as a millennial life coach in an industry where most folks are over 45 or 50, creating your life from intention versus default, and how performance gets in the way of true partnership and connection. As always, thanks so much for being here. It truly means a lot that you've decided to spend your time with us, and I'm incredibly excited to share this episode with you. Christina, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So excited you're here. It was interesting, you know, when I was thinking about the first couple of people that I wanted to interview and wanted to have on, you were one of the first people that came to mind for me. And I, in, before this, the folks who were listening got a bit more of an intro as to who you are and your professional bio. But I also wanted to ask you, what are you up to? Ooh, what am I up to? Well, Currently in this moment, if you could see where I am, you would see me in my office in complete disarray um, because what I'm literally up to is uh, at the end of every year, I really like to reorganize my office. I just feel like it kind of like energetically moves the space around and helps me set intentions for the year. You know, this past year I did a ton of traveling and collected a lot of really cool artwork and cool little you know pieces for my altars and whatnot. And so it's nice to just sort of take a step back and kind of clear out the space. And, you know, I think what I'm doing physically right now perfectly aligns with what I'm up to like mentally or emotionally, which is, you know, it's the end of the year. We're getting ready for the new decade. I've been spending a lot of time like a resting, first and foremost, resting a ton, really not working much this past week, but then B like, you know, just taking a look at what's next for 2020. Um, one of my favorite rituals this time of year, I've been doing it for like the last three or four years now is I always take out my tarot and I do what's called a year ahead spread. So I actually do a reading for every month of the next year mm. and it helps me, you know, ground myself in what's next, set intentions, think about the goals that I have. Uh, yeah. Really just like preparing myself for what's next. I love that. <clears throat> and um, what did the, at a high level, <clears throat> what the tarot cards tell you about 2020? Well, uh, thanks for outing me. At uh, time of recording, this is December 30th. So I'll actually be doing the reading tomorrow. Oh, I'll tell okay. you what I hope it tells me. Yes, please share. <laughs> um, 
Well, all jokes aside, sometimes I also do these readings for other people. It's not part of my coaching services or anything, but you know, I have some loved ones that know that I'm really into this stuff. And what I can tell you is it just seems like 2020 is going to be a really big year for a lot of people. Like it's a new decade uh, for anyone that believes in, you know, astrology or the universe or how things work. There's a lot of uh, eclipses coming up this year and super moons, like a lot of potent energy. And where I'm looking for myself in my life is I think I've had a lot of success business wise. And I'd really love for 2020 to be the year that's, um, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but almost like less success focus and more joy focus, you know, taking more trips with my husband, thinking about family planning, spending more time with friends, maybe heading out to Chicago to hang out with you more often, you know, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's interesting. I also feel very similarly about 2020. And even in the couple of folks that I've had conversations with up till this point for this podcast, that's been one of the things that we've been talking about was how 2020 just feels like it's going to be a very different year in a lot of ways, like a year of um, expression, authenticity, more joy, um, really just feeling like turning a corner and creating something new in 2020. Um, and I'd love to get into that piece of it, like the personal piece of it and the joy piece of it. Um, and one of the things that I want to talk to you about and that I'm super interested in is your relationship to coaching and your relationship to the work itself. Because one of the things that I know about you and one of the things that you've shared with me a lot is how much of a nerd you are for coaching work. <laughs> and, uh, Hayden, this is a public platform. How dare you? <laughs> And um, it's so cool because it's it's like you've been able to find this profession that not only lights you up, but where you also are thriving from a skills development perspective, like learning more about how to become a better coach, asking better questions, um, supporting people in uh, you know, creating actions and creating plans that serve them and help them actually get what they want. Um, and so I, I think the, the question that I have for you is like, what excites you so much about this work? And like, what excites you so much about coaching? Ooh, um, if I could sum it up in a single word, it would be intention. And to share what I mean by that, I'm going to slightly drag my family first. <laughs> so, and I want, All jokes aside, if any of my friends or family listen to this, please know this is not a judgment in any way. I love each and every one of you and, you know, totally honor and respect your decisions in life. But, you know, I just came out of the holiday season. I was home for Christmas. I saw my husband's family. I saw my own family. We saw friends um, from all generations of life. And what I noticed with most of the conversations I was having this holiday season, is that like most of the people most of the time are kind of in this like set paradigm of what's next for life. So for example, like cousin A had a baby a year and a half ago. So now the other baby's on the way. Cousin B got married six months ago and now the baby's on the way. You know, cousin C constantly complaining about their job. Um, You know, I joke and I also don't joke, but every year I have a chance to see Uh, my husband, Paul's friends from high school. And the conversations are the same every single year to the point where like, like a prophet, I could write who's going to be complaining about work, who isn't doing anything about how they hate their job, you know, who's still single, who's this, who's that. Like, it's just 
it's like a hamster wheel. Like there's just like a way that it's supposed to go and everyone just sort of like naturally falls into the way it's supposed to go or how it's supposed to look. And so not at all to suggest that my life is any better than any of those people because I would assert they're actually really happy with their lives. But what I notice is different about my life with this work and why I love it and why I love honing the craft to support other people in creating this is that there's so much intention with it. Like, I don't just get married, then get off birth control and have a baby. You know, I ask myself like, hey, does it make sense to have a baby right now? What are my goals for the next year of my life? You know, what's my husband up to and trying to create a new career for himself? You know, similarly, it's not a, oh, well, I get two weeks of paid leave. So I have to organize my vacations around my two weeks of paid leave. It's like, hey, how many vacations do I want to take this year? Or even more importantly, like, what's the experience I want vacation to give me? Is it about you know, filling that wanderlust I have and visiting new countries this year? Is it about chasing the best beers in the world? Like, like again, the word I use is intention. And I think what coaching provides people is creating life from intention rather than just like chasing paths that other people have like already paved that seem to work out for them, if that makes mm, sense. Totally. Yeah. It's um, the thing that I'm hearing in that is it's, it's starting with you <clears throat> mm-hmm. and creating and uh, creating a life that's an expression of who you are innately with your needs, wants, desires, fantasies, things that you just like and love and want to bring more into your life versus following a script or thinking that there's a specific way that it's supposed to go and supporting people in breaking up the paradigm that there's a way that it's supposed to go and supporting them in understanding like, hey, you actually get to say from the ground up what it looks like in all areas. Totally. Exactly. And, you know, I think it's not to knock myself for being a millennial, but, you know, nowadays, like with meme culture, it's always like the okay boomer. Like clearly like people of my generation and our generation, since unfortunately you are also a millennial, Hayden, mm-hmm. like we've already noticed that like the shit isn't working. And so what I love about coaching is like, rather than have that be a complaint or even a place to feel resigned, like, oh God, that's not actually going to work for me. It's like, okay, well, since it's not going to work for me, what is? And why do I want it to work that way? And what's it going to give me? Like there's so there's so much more of a of an unfurling to why you would go and chase the things you say you want. Mm-hmm. And having people around our age or the millennial age and younger understanding, hey, I actually get to say how it goes versus having to follow anything in particular. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you about too, um, because I know you started this business and you got into coaching at a relatively young age, like 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was curious too, like what's been your experience like of being a young coach since typically, you know, with coaches, executive coaches, what have you, the the typical coach is someone who's older, maybe right. in their 50s or 60s or what have you. So, I mean, I'm just curious, like, what's the experience for you been like of being a young coach? Yeah, well, for the completely honest answer, at first it was terrifying. Like, <laughs> the thought of talking to anyone older than myself and trying to tell them like, hey, I'm a life coach and I want you to pay me money to support you in developing your life. Like I was like, no one's going to take that shit seriously. But all jokes aside, like once I got over my own self-worth stuff and confidence stuff and, you know, the things that told me like no one, like I can't provide value at 23 the way someone can provide value at 55 or whatever it is. What I noticed is like 
Yes. The coaching industry, I would assert, is probably the fastest growing industry right now, maybe like right behind IT because IT seems to never stop growing, right? <laughs> um, but even though the, the industry of coaching is growing, the number of coaches that are you know under the age of 40 and in the conversation of how to develop the coaching industry is still pretty small. Like I had the opportunity to speak at the world's largest global coaching conference at the end of October in Prague. And they sent us the demographics of the attendees. And of the thousand or so people in attendance, 4% of attendees were under the age of 40. So it's not to wow. say that there, yeah. So it's not to say that there aren't young people out there calling themselves coaches, but it is to say that the people that are out there deciding what's going to happen to the industry and cultivating how we train on coaching and essentially like the thought leaders, they're still of a particular generation. And I want to be clear, that's fine. Like I'm so grateful for the people that paved the way to make coaching a reputable industry and who continue to fight that fight. But what I notice about it is I think we're entering an era where that expert speaking to a student mo model like doesn't work anymore. And what I mean by that is like having people who are above you talking down to you to tell you how to reach their level. I think nowadays what actually supports people in thriving is when you speak as equals in a collaborative conversation and discuss how to move up together. And I think the unique opportunity that I bring to working with me is I tend to be the same age as my clients, if not sometimes younger. And so I'm never going to talk to you like I know more than you because I don't. Like that's a load of horseshit. I mean, maybe some stuff about like craft brewing or chemistry or whatever, but for the most part, like in 28 years of life, I don't know more about most things than other people. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is how to speak to you like a peer and speak to you like a partner and support you in the collaboration of moving your life forward. And I, I really believe that that's what's next in the service industry is removing the model of like, I'm going to teach you how to do it. So you're as good as I am and entering the model of like, Hey, I want to work with you so that we move up together. Mm. Yeah. The thing I hear in that is it removes the power dynamic from the relationship and Absolutely. it just becomes two humans connecting and looking at what do I bring to this conversation? What do you bring to this conversation? And how can we both benefit from being in relationship with each other? Because even as a coach, you know, in a sense, yes, I'm providing coaching and providing value to whoever I'm working with. But at the same time, I'm also getting a ton of value from the folks that I work with, because it's always an opportunity for me. And I would assert that you probably feel the same. Uh, it's always an opportunity for me to take a look at how do I uh, you know, what's this person reflecting to me about my own stops and my own limitations and, you know, my own belief systems and the, you know, the things that I hold to be true or not true? And how can I continue to learn and expand, you know, based on the folks that I'm working with and um, having the power dynamic in there or having this idea of I know more than you or I should be getting it right or whatever it is completely, uh, you know, cuts the fuel to that the the opportunity to learn more and the, like the opportunity to grow. Totally. And like speaking to that point to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier, like here we were talking about the idea of creating life from your intentions versus from the way it's supposed to go. Like 
that power dynamic of I know more than you do actually perpetuates the there's a way it's supposed to go. So it actually keeps that thing in place and it keeps the hamster wheel in place. Mm. Um, the question that's coming up for me is, <clears throat> have you had any, well, maybe not have you had any, but I'm curious about experiences that you've had where something didn't go the way that you thought it would, maybe in career or in relationship, and you learned something or took something from it. When do I not have those moments in life? <laughs> Dream big, fail bigger. No, I'm totally kidding. I think actually, look, all jokes aside, the moment that I had that was like that is what ultimately led me on this path to coaching. And what I mean by that is I know you read my bio to people. So, you know, maybe people have kind of like pieced these different things together, but long story short, I went to a women's college. I spent four years on a campus that told me that my voice mattered, despite the fact that I was, you know, an immigrant's daughter, despite the fact that I was a woman, despite the fact that I was queer. And then I go out into the big, bold city of New York to work. And no one has that mindset. No one gives a shit about my voice. No one gives a shit about my leadership. No one gives a shit about any of it. And I actually spend the first six months out of college unemployed. And the only job that I could get was at a mall by taking my two degrees from a liberal arts college off of my resume. And so immediately, nothing about life was going the way that I thought it would at 22. But what pivoted that even further for me was, you know, finally, after tons of networking, I obtained this opportunity to work at a startup that was founded by a fellow Greek American woman. This was someone who was 10 or 15 years my senior, and I saw so much of myself in her. And I was like, oh my God, yes, like this is the person. Like she's going to groom me, she's going to mentor me, like she's going to give me that experience of being a leader or being a, a woman that has an impact on the planet. Like she's going to help me manifest that. And to your question of like it not going the way I thought it would how it went for me instead in that experience was this was someone who was raised in the very patriarchal Goldman Sachs mindset of there's only room for one of us at this table. And so I was degraded. I was ridiculed. I was put down. I was told my ideas were stupid. And then the next week they were being used by her as her own ideas. And so that opportunity, like that wasn't the invitation into being great that I thought it would be. But funny enough, it ultimately led to me being exactly where I am anyway, because it's what had me have this moment of like, I am so fed up with how this is going. Like here I am waiting for an invitation to matter, but I think I just have to demand getting to matter. And it's what led me here. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the you know, tying back into the piece that you were talking about coaching and the experience that you had as a young coach in talking with people, it sounds like there's also an element of like education, like educating people about what coaching is or what it isn't and how it actually works. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I 
actually part of the reason that I call myself a success coach instead of a life coach is because I felt that life coach comes with a lot of baggage and people automatically have their interpretations of what that means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's probably an opportunity there for me to own that anyways. Um, but the cool thing that I found about calling myself a success coach was I then had the opportunity to educate people about what I did versus mm-hmm. them coming in with, you know, some sort of preconceived notions. So, you know, with there being a lot of misconceptions about coaching or maybe misunderstandings, misunderstandings about coaching, like what's well, something that you wish everyone knew about coaching and what it meant to be coached? Mm. So part of my answer actually stems from a conversation I had recently with a marketing strategist, which um, I want to be clear, this like, I thought everything that he offered me was super valuable, but he said something about coaching someone over a year long contract that really like sat with me the wrong way for a while. And what he said to me was, Hey, Christina, like, you can try and sell contracts that are six to 12 months long, but as soon as another leadership coach comes along and says that they can give you the same thing in four to five months, they're always going to get hired over you because they're delivering the results faster. And the, I want to be clear, that's great advice for someone who's looking to scale a business and make a ton of money, which, you know, yes, I want a livelihood. But what stuck out to me about it and what I wish every single person knew about coaching and what it meant to be coached is the reason I assert that we seek that instant gratification of results as soon as possible is because we're trying to fix something about ourselves. And the faster we get that result, the faster we've fixed it, the more likely we can finally love ourselves or be valued or be acceptable or be worthy of something. When the fact of the matter is the beauty of coaching is that there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing that needs fixing. And the reason I want to work with you for six months or even a year of your life is so that we can really like cultivate the thing that you want that might seem indulgent, that might seem superfluous, that might seem too big or too scary or too unrealistic. Like I don't The thing that makes me very not millennial-esque if we're going off of stereotypes is like, I'm not an instant gratification kind of person. I'm a let's learn how to fish so you can feed yourself for the rest of your life kind of person. And that's what I wish people really got about at least ontological coaching is it's not just a, I want to get you from point A to point B in the fastest way possible for the most amount of money. It's, I want us to sit down and meet you at point A and have you design what point B looks like and then get there in our process together. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I love what you said around learning to fish instead of giving fish. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, at least what I found too, and you know, in my coaching is supporting people in flexing and developing those muscles for themselves so that even if it's you know, four to six months, what have you, when they leave their, the trajectory of what they're looking to create for themselves has shifted that much more after working with me because they now have those skills for themselves. It's not, you know, it's not giving it an answer. It's not giving whatever it is. Like they then have the opportunity to go out and create that for themselves. And I think it plays into not only creating results, but I think it also plays into your ability to do your own self-work, like your own, own interpersonal work, um, especially with, with, you know, things like um, self-acceptance and self-love. And I know that that's something that you've been working on a lot too recently mm-hmm. um, is shifting your relationship um, with yourself and shifting your relationship with 
um, you know, self-love more generally. And so that's the thing that I, I'm curious about is like, when you look at no longer fixing yourself and focusing on accepting and loving yourself, like how does that show up for you in your life? Ooh. Um, I mean, I think the biggest way it shows up for me is in my calendar. Like, like seriously speaking, I think the best visual representation of whether I'm coming from fixing myself or loving myself is the appointments that I have on my calendar. Because from fixing myself, it's like, you know, as many potential client calls as possible in a day, it's therapy, but so as to check the box and shoved in between two client calls, it's going to the gym, but from this place of like, you fat piece of shit, like (laughs) go handle that. Go finally look the way you're supposed to look. It's, um, yeah, it's all from this place of like, it's frantic, it's jam packed. And it's a lot of like trying to fit it all in and check the, like checking the box of self-care. Like, oh, I ate dinner. So that's self-care. Check that box. Oh, I sat in a therapist's office and even though I got there 10 minutes late and I had to leave 10 minutes early because I have a, like clients calling, like I went to therapy. So that counts for something versus like, you know, when my calendar is coming from self-love, it's like, Hey, I have a session with my new strength coach. So I actually blocked out two whole hours of my day because even though it's only a 60 minute session, I actually want a half hour to chill before I work out and a half hour to chill after I work out. Hey, like if I'm going to see my therapist, I'm actually going to schedule it on a day where I don't have clients or not schedule clients around it because like, that's the thing that I need to take care of myself. Hey, like instead of like allowing my clients to book my noon, like my noon time slots, which are usually when I eat lunch and then like secretly mute myself and eat lunch while I'm talking to clients. Like I love the face you're making because clearly you've never done that before. I've never done that before, ever. (laughs) (laughs) But no, seriously, like, like if you look at my calendar and what I'm up to, you can immediately see like where I'm coming from and how different it is. I think the other piece of it is like, I noticed when I'm coming from self, like just like having a love for life, I travel way more. And it's not because like, it's not from that place of like, I need vacations. It's actually just from the place of like, oh wow, like I have a love of exploring new places and trying new foods and seeing new sites and just like soaking up life and, you know, creating a work schedule in a way that allows for that, you know? Totally. And, you know, it's cool to have this conversation with you, understanding how much work you've put in to get to that place and understanding that self-care and taking care of yourself is actually supporting you in creating what you want, like creating the results that you want, creating the life that you want. And I think what I find is that a lot of people get tripped up in feeling like self-care is indulgent. Like there, Mm. it's, um, uh, selfish or uh, it's taking away from something. And so I'd be curious, like, you know, how in your experience, in, and I'm sure you've probably connected with those kinds of people too, like, how do you talk about self-care um, or support people in understanding self-care as access to, you know, well-being and having the life that they want versus something that's indulgent or selfish? Right. So, um, I mean, my honest answer is like, so what if it's indulgent? Like, that's actually like, I think 
that's the conversation to have with people is like, look at the judgment that we put on the word indulgence or look at the, the judgment or negative connotation that we have around the word like luxury. Like, you know, I remember growing up, I always heard that expression of like, you either work to live or you live to work. Like, you know, either having that passion project that you love working all day or having that, you know, that nine to five that pays the bills and make sure that you have like a comfortable lifestyle. And I'm like, that is such a weird dichotomy to set up in life. Like, what if like you lived to live, I think is the conversation that you could be having with people. And from that place, like self-care is obvious. Like if your whole, the whole point of your life was to live it, would we be like, would work be the first thing that you talked about when you woke up in the morning? Mm -hmm. Would your emails be the first thing you looked at? You know, when your alarm went off and you debated whether to hit snooze. Mm. Um, I know it sounds like a, here, I'm going to use the word. It sounds like an indulgent concept, but like, that's kind of the point I would argue. Um, and I think the other place to take a look at it is like, earlier we were talking about the difference between like fixing ourselves and loving ourselves. Self-care is a great place to look at how much you value yourself in your own life. Because when I notice is like so many of us are so quick to give everyone else what they need. But then when it's time to give ourselves what we need, we have excuses for why that's not okay. I know nothing about that. <laughs> um, yeah, of course not. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that I hear in that is <clears throat> like really in a sense, like fundamentally shifting up your, like how you prioritize things or what you see as important. And it's like, well, at least in my experience, what I found is that in letting go of the attachment and obsession around working and performance and achieving, it mm -hmm. actually opens up the door to create a much more enjoyable experience, period. Mm -hmm. And as a bonus, I also then get to create the results that I was looking to create prior, but didn't have access to because I viewed everything as difficult or hard or, uh, you know, it had to be worked at or, you know, whatever it is. So counterintuitively, it's like the self, the self-care and well-being piece of it actually provides access to all of the things that you want, but it requires this intentional letting go and this intentional surrender to what feels good and what you want versus what you think you should want or what you think you should be doing. Totally. And I think the other piece of it is kind of going back to that word of intention. Um, there are so many people who take on self-care from that place of like, let's fix the problem. So like the, oh yeah, I'm going to finally take a three-day vacation so I can sleep all day because I'm so burnt out from working. Or, hey, my New Year's resolution of 2020 is to shed those 20 pounds so that people finally swipe right when they see my picture on Tinder. And, like, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but notice inherently how, like, those two statements are, like, self-care so as to fix something about you versus, like, using self-care to set the intention of, like, noticing how mean you are to yourself and how maybe it doesn't have to go that way. Mm. Um, like I have a, it's interesting. Is it all right with you if I share a story of like Please. how I recently started strength coaching? So for anyone listening, the thing you should know about me is I have never in my 28 years of life ever done any kind of personal training. Like I have intentionally avoided it like the plague. 
I won't totally go into why, but long story short, I had a really brutal, traumatic experience with a dance teacher when I was in the fifth grade. And since then, like the thought of like having someone judge me physically terrified me. And so right after Thanksgiving, I finally decided to take the plunge and I hired a strength coach. And (laughs) so I've been doing this work for four years. So speaking of instant gratification, self-love is not an instant gratification game. It is a long game. It is a process game. It is for the rest of your life game. I've been in this for four years. Starting my strength coaching and going to the gym and working out, sure enough, I think it was my fourth or fifth session that I finally cried during the session complete hysterics, so disappointed in myself. Holy shit. Like, like real honest, like vulnerable share. Like I was thinking things like, wow, like I'm going to be the fat kid for the rest of my life. Holy shit. It's pathetic. I can't do this. Like what the heck? Like at 28 years old, like this is so hard for me. That's not even a lot of weight. Like so much hatred running through my head, just working out for an hour. And I mention it in this context because what it illuminated for me was like, here I am like talking about all the work I've done around self-love, but here was a very easy, practical place to notice how much of that isn't actually being applied. And specifically how like the the degree of self-love I have for myself shrinks exponentially as soon as I'm doing something that I don't feel like I'm good at. Mm. Frankly, I feel like I'm bad at. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I can relate to that a lot. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally get that. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> with all of this work, I think the thing that I found is there's always another layer. Like there's always a next level. There's always that next, like, hey, you know, where's the next place that I can take a look um, and get clear on what might be in the way and also what's on the other side. And so, <clears throat> you know, I'm curious with you, looking at self-love, like what's the next level for you in your self-love journey and your well-being journey? Mm, I mean, I think it's all related to that piece that I just shared, which is like, I've done, like, if you met me four years ago and I mentioned that I was speaking at the world's largest global coaching conference and you went, wow, that's great. I'd be like, yeah, it's whatever. Like I couldn't even take a compliment for a success. So a lot of my journey so far has been in like owning what I'm good at, owning what I'm great at, like actually owning my contributions and like being proud of them. And I think really that next step for me is like actually owning that same level of like tenderness and celebration and love for myself, even when I'm up against things that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, whether it's trying to do a push up and failing miserably, or maybe it's about you know, in the terms of my business, like launching new products or reaching out to large organizations or trying to work with clients that are up to even bigger and better things than people I've ever worked with before. Like, I think this next trajectory of self-love, I don't have that, uh, for anyone that's done coaching, you know, we like the very specific, concrete, measurable language. I'm not quite there yet, but I know the, the experience of it that I want to be having is, you know, rather than going to the gym and sitting in this place of like, wow, I suck. That's bad. To come from a place of like, oh, wow, like, okay, this is more challenging for me. Like, what do I need in this moment? Mm. Hey, like, is it worth me pushing through this? Do I actually need to ask my coach to shift things up? You know, am I hurting myself? Like to 
bring more tenderness and curiosity to what's going on in my head rather than the immediately like you fuck up. Mm, yeah, it sounds like breaking up the automatic and replacing it with the compassion and the love and the acceptance in the face of not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think part of where, you know, I'm a leadership coach, but I'm also a leader myself. And I am constantly learning new things about my leadership. And one thing that I know about myself, which I would assert is both a strength and at times a weakness, is I take things so personally. And specifically, I take things so personally when, like, let's say, I'll give an example. Like, if a team, if my team doesn't meet a milestone, I put all of that on me. I'm like, I was the leader of this team. I was the backstop for this team. We didn't hit this milestone. That's on me. And look, like from an integrity perspective or a stand for excellence, like that's not bad or wrong. But what I then do with that, like it's on me is I beat the crap out of myself. I get super anxious. You know, I'll stay up late at night and finish it myself if it doesn't get done. Like there are things that I do because of how personally I take it that isn't conducive to like this, like loving, healthy, tender life that I say I want to be living. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. The, um, it's yeah, so back awesome that I beat myself. <laughs> What's the uh, recognition of it? You know, it's funny, a very vulnerable share too, is I'm also understanding like my automatics in these conversations. And it's interesting. I've had to catch myself uh, multiple times when I am just about to say something completely automatically like that. Like, oh, awesome, cool, totally, uh, whatever it is. And it honestly is, it's the performance thing. It's mm -hmm. like the, hey, you know, at, where am I going to take this? Where's this next question going to go? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's the, thanks for pointing it out. And <laughs> the, uh, you know, that's the next level for me too, is just being in partnership with whoever I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. versus having it be performative or what have you. And it is awesome as much as <laughs> it is. <actually laughs> awesome. um, but uh, but I, what I wanted to say was, you know, in the beginning, we talked a little bit about your professional goals for this year and 2020 and like what you're up to there. Um, and I wanted to circle back around to the more personal piece of it because you had mentioned that, you know, in looking at 2020, the place that you were looking to come from was more from a place of joy Mm -hmm. And um, being more focused on, you know, living life versus uh, just like achieving or um, creating results in your business. And so I'm curious from there too, like what, um, like what's on the docket? Like what are the things that you're most excited about creating this year through this lens of joy? Absolutely. So there's kind of, there's multiple pieces to this, but to try to like bottom line the summation of them, one of them is... I've mentioned this a couple times now, but I'm a huge beer drinker. Like I got a degree in chemistry, which led me to learning about the science of beer, which led me to making my own beer. So now I make my own beer and I drink beer and it's great. And one thing I've always wanted to do, but in my mind, this was now the indulgent, selfish, ridiculous goal is I've always wanted to become a certified beer judge. Not because I need to go to competitions and like tell people if their beer is good or bad, but actually because to me, like creating the time it would take to have friends that are willing to drink styles of beers with me and learn what they are, 
to, you know, indulgently go through flip cards that talk about the differences between, you know, a, a Czech Pilsner and a Munich Ellis Lager. You know, to me, that would suggest that like I'm running my own time and my I'm leading my own life. So that's actually a goal of mine in 2020 is to finally sit down and take the exam. Hmm. Because if I was prepared to take it and I passed it, it would mean like I was so willing to just like hmm. make that space and time for myself. Hmm. Um, the other piece of it is I'm actually currently writing a short story collection and it's kind of, it's like weird to talk about it out loud because I haven't told a lot of people, but yeah, I knew your face right that. now. That's so cool. Yeah. So I actually, in college, I uh, studied English literature and I actually did a thesis in creative writing and I've always loved writing. I actually uh, helped a really good friend of mine publish his book in September. I edited it for him. It's called Fictional Authenticity, by the way, and it's amazing by Alex Terranova. Uh, little plug. But the point of that is I've always loved writing. And there it's actually like a way that I work on expressing myself and my emotions and my feelings. But I've been so hesitant to share this goal with people because uh, my own judgment of this is it seems like every coach out there right now is trying to write a book. And like, I'm actually currently, and this could change, like, don't, don't put this on the record as fact, but like, And this could change. Don't um, back up like change. 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Clayton, edit this part out. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, Clayton. <laughs> yeah. And so this part could change, but currently I don't feel compelled to write some sort of nonfiction self help coaching book just for the sake of like building my brand. What I am interested in is creating this collection that is my own way of sharing my journey of coaching, but not through the lens of like, here's the how-tos, here's the self-help guides, here's the practices to take on weekly, but really just like a really honest, authentic experience of like essentially creating myself as multiple characters and sharing these different facets of my story. So that's another huge goal that I have for this year that would just be fun and flowing and easy and silly and wondrous and also very intimate. I think that's true for anyone who creates any type of art. Like even this podcast, for example, I think is an act of intimacy, like putting an idea out there and letting people sit with it and be with it and hopefully create value from it. Totally. Um, and then last but certainly not least, like I really want 2020 to be the year that uh, we start planning our family. You know, whether that looks like being pregnant by the end of the year or, you know, buying a property together, like, like I've mentioned before, like, I love going on adventures with my husband, Paul. And frankly, I think what works so much about our relationship is he's just like this wondrous Peter Pan of a man who is just so filled with joy and so filled with love and so filled with playfulness. And, you know, I really want 2020 to be the year that we like dream bigger and where we get to bring that playfulness next as mm. partners. Mm. The short stories. That's so cool. The, mm -hmm. I love that so much. It's, you know, it's been interesting too, um, like looking at the things that I've been up to in my own life and looking at where I can continue to pursue creative expression. Cause there's this certain sense of, it 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 feels like you're bringing a piece of yourself into the world in a in a way that it 
feels really, yeah, what you said, special and intimate and authentic. And I love the fact that you're doing it through short stories because I think self-help books are great. <laughs> and I think that there's, there's a different, um, there's like a different impact that's had when someone tells a story and lets other people see themselves in the story and get what they get out of the story versus serving it up to them in a very easy, like, Hey, here's the list. Here's the things to follow here, are the big pieces. And I think in a lot of ways that can actually be more powerful than trying to give people the highlights or give people the bullet points of whatever it is, because then people get to read it and they get to see what they see. They get to relate it to their own life. And especially, um, doing it uh i don't know where i'm going with this i'm just going to cut it there clayton edit that out hayden you're fucking up your podcast Stop, performative that is so performative <laughs> clayton keep so that funny part. yeah keep yeah, keep, keep all the <laughs> um <laughs> uh is there anything else you wanted to talk about do you want to go back and <laughs> re-offer your point? I think that was my point. I think I made my point. I think the biggest point is just, well, one, the opportunity that it is to create something that's a unique expression of you and doing it in story format, which I think in many ways can be more impactful and powerful than just self-help offering up the highlights or the bullet points. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. And I think what's fun about the project is I don't actually care. Like I don't, mm -hmm. I don't care what's more valuable because it's not actually about anyone else. It's just about me. Mm. That's awesome. I've been finding the same thing to be true, at least more recently in the content that I'm creating. It's less about how are people going to perceive this and more, how do I just have an enjoyable time doing it? So this podcast and the event series that I'm running in Chicago by the exact same name has not been anything where I've said, hey, here's why I'm doing this or here's like the specific outcome that I hope to achieve. It's just more the process and the opportunity to create community with people and show up in a space that where I can be my most authentic self, um, especially in groups and, uh, you know, especially around facilitation, like just doing it for the sake of doing it Absolutely. and what people get from it is what they get from it. And mm -hmm. that's really awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, and for anyone listening, like I actually want to like drive this point home. Like what you just talked about Hayden, that idea of like not worrying about crafting it so perfectly that people want it, but it just being the thing that you want, like to anyone listening, if you follow that logic or that reasoning for yourselves in your life, typically whatever it is you want will show up because of that like there's there's magic and there's power whichever word you like more magic or power in speaking what you want out loud and then simply living into that versus kind of going back to this metaphor like trying to fit into the wheel of how it's gone before you mm, creating your own path exactly and letting the things show up mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome well christina it's been an absolute joy having you on Thanks so much for being open and vulnerable and sharing your perspective. Um, it's super great. A couple things that I want to end on. Mm -hmm. One, where can people find you? 
Ooh, so if you want to know more about me, you could find me in a couple different places. Uh, my website is hearherroar.net, and you can reach me at Christina, the CH, at hearherroar.net, or you can follow me on Instagram, which is herextinaroar. Mm, nice. I'll put all that in the show notes as well. Second, what is a piece of wisdom that you'd love to share with the folks listening to help them elevate themselves, their community, and the world? Just one. Just Ooh. one. Um, honestly, I really want to drive home the point that I made with sharing a little bit about my own like uh, taking on strength coaching journey, which is rather than focus on like everything that you're good at as a reason to love yourself, like go out into situations where you're bad at things or you don't know how to do things or you're scared of things and learn how to love yourself in those spaces. Cause that's actually what's going to support you in growing that muscle. And then you get to go share it with other people, which is awesome. Cool. And finally, are you open to some acknowledgement? Always. Yes. Christina. Mm, you're one of my favorite people to acknowledge. For everyone listening, <laughs> I get the opportunity to do this quite often, but um, this is special because I get to do it and other people get to hear it. So, Christina, beautiful coaching wizard. <laughs> I think the thing that I, well, the first thing that I really want to acknowledge you for is your sense of divinity and spirit. It's super prevalent. I mean, it came up a lot as we were talking today in the conversation today. And it's also just something that I've noticed uh, you bring into the space and bring into your life and into conversations on a super regular basis. And one of the things that I've been really um, learning a lot more about both in myself and in other people is this idea of like masculine and feminine energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have this really beautiful combination of both where you're able to bring both into a space and into a conversation and into a relationship in a way that's super impactful. Um, and it's almost like you get to meet people where they are on a really fundamental, almost primal level. And I think that that's part of the reason why you're such a powerful coach is because people know that they can trust you super easily. I mean, it's, it's the reason that I know that I can trust you when I get on the phone with you. Um, it, it's because I know that you have my best interest in mind. Um, you're, you're a super unique person. I don't, I was like, I don't think I've ever met anyone like Christina. And I think it speaks to your commitment to bringing your own authenticity, like bringing you into every area of your life like I was like I don't think I've ever seen Christina pretend to be something that she's not <laughs> that got me into a lot of trouble in middle school I didn't have a lot of friends but I think it's good for the rest of the hang up now <laughs> um, and I think that's another piece of like what begets that trust like you're rock solid rock solid and you're also incredibly tender and loving and compassionate. Um, and I love you very much. I love you too. Thank you. I'm so acknowledged. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. See you next time.